Hey, and welcome to the Kid Therapist Podcast. This is Allie. And this is Lauren. We are two licensed mental health therapists practicing in Maryland who love helping kids and families to manage and overcome their mental health struggles. Our goal of this podcast is to educate, inspire, and provide some insight into what could be going on with your kids. Here we go. We are coming to the end of our first season and it has been such a fun journey sharing our passion um, about mental health and kids and families. And to wrap it up, we came up with a top 10 ways to promote good mental health and overall well-being in kids. So we can't wait to share these with you and maybe even inspire you with some vision of ways to cultivate mental health in your family for the upcoming year. We can't believe that we are at the end of season one. I know. Time flies when you're having fun. (laughs) We're having a lot of fun. Yeah. So we started this podcast with the goal to educate and inspire the adults and kids' lives in order to better promote mental health for children, teens, and families. And we cannot believe how our listener audience has grown. We are so grateful for this opportunity. Thank you guys for listening every week. We appreciate the feedback and the reviews. Like, Thank you so much, everyone. We thought it would be a fun way to finish out the first season and the end of this year by sharing a top 10 list of ways to inspire and promote good health in children in your family. This time of year, many people start thinking about goals for the upcoming year. And while we aren't resolution type of people, we thought this episode might inspire you and your families next year. So we're going to kick it off with 10 ways to promote good mental health and overall well-being in kids. Yep. So so first thing, number one, we're diving right into it. Um, Help your kid get enough sleep. We can't emphasize this enough. Sleep is so, so important. It's so basic. It's just something that we need as humans. Um, But kids especially, they really need it. Their brains are developing. um, And so many kids are sleep deprived. And parents too. You know, I get it. We have busy lives, but sleep is so important. Yeah. In therapy world, we learn about something called Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. And it's a pyramid that talks about our different needs um, and we've got to get the basics met like sleep before we can bloom and grow into other areas like self-esteem and positive relationships. Yeah I actually saw like a, a joke of a hierarchy of needs online and at the very bottom so the bottom ones are the basic needs it said wi-fi <laughs> and then like the next <laughs> level was like food you know. <laughs> wi-fi is not one of your basic no, needs. No <laughs> that, that was a completely joke That's but awesome. it was just hilarious especially in this day and age it just kind of made me chuckle it, a little bit. I yeah. think there's a lot of that would argue that that is their number one basic need. Yes, yes. Um, So there's a lot of charts online that help parents figure out how many hours of sleep are needed for your child's age and stage. So uh, definitely look into that, you know, for your kid's specific needs. Don't be afraid. And we encourage you to take away those electronics at night. Have a basket where all the electronics are stored before bed. There are so many teens and even kids that are spending so many hours where their body should be resting and sleeping. Absolutely. And they, yeah, and they might argue, oh, I need my alarm. 
well, they still make old-fashioned alarms. So, mm -hmm. you know, that's still available. Um, and one of mo the most single and powerful strategies to improve kids' ability to cope with stressful situations is helping them, you know, get enough sleep. So this will help them ensure that they have the brain power and the emotional well-being to approach challenging situations. So sleep just really is just a catch-all help with a lot of things. I think we started with that one as number one. Yes. We don't really have these in a specific order, but that one just feels so foundational. Yes, I agree. So number two, bring fun and playfulness into the lives of kids, teens, and your family. So allow opportunities for unstructured times and boredom. Kids these days, their lives are often so organized and scheduled that spontaneous fun and playfulness is really missing. Kids aren't getting enough free play time. And I think that we are all starting to recognize and be aware of that. Um, they really don't have as many opportunities for that free play and for them to use their imagination. Um, think about all the ways that kids' lives are so structured. You know, they are structured in their learning, but then all the extracurriculars that we involve them in, um, they're often coached on a sports team or they're watching programmed electronic entertainment. They're not really having that time to um, develop their own creativity and imagination imagination and work out um, their own whatever they want to in a child-led way. Absolutely. And and lack of playtime really affects their emotional development. It's attributed to higher levels of anxiety, depression, problems with attention and self-control, you know, their impulse control. So so having this play, this, you know, kind of free play, this unstructured play to use their imagination is so, so important. Yeah. And that free structured play, you know, it's not controlled by adults who tell the child what mm -hmm. to do. And, you know, it's not passive where a child is just sitting in front of a screen. It's giving them opportunities to, again, for it to be child driven and to use their imagination, whether or not and they're going to bring themselves to whatever they're doing, whether that's playing with toys, playing outside, drawing, building, um, but the child is the one that is directing it. Yeah, and the best time is when they say they're bored, like, Mom, mm -hmm. Dad, I'm bored. There's nothing to do, you know, especially in this winter time, you know, there's kind of like that, that whininess behind it and be like, that's a great time to play, you know, that's a yes. great time to explore something, you know, go in your room and look in your closet, see if there's something Something there that you haven't looked at in a while um, and don't count on school recess to necessarily meet this free play you know need uh, it's not very long it's often still structured um, you know they have the recess monitors even though they're not you know telling the kids what to do necessarily um, and it, you know it is still time where they're playing with friends and, and doing that social development that's so important but they need that you know individuals you know free play sometimes mm -hmm. Number three, carve out time for rest and relaxation. Kids need downtime and rest just like we as adults need downtime and rest. Absolutely. Just as you said earlier, Lauren, you know, our lives are often overscheduled and we don't really have any margin room for this, you know, for this rest relaxation time. So even if it's just a little bit of time every day, you know, once a week, maybe have like Sunday snuggle time, you know, something where mm -hmm. it's just time to rest. When you don't have that margin room, it's hard to have those opportunities come up for connection. And that's missing a lot 
for kids when they're so overscheduled and they don't have that time for rest and relaxation. Um, kids often connect doing parallel things with a parent, you know, walking the dog together or cooking something together, reading a story together. Um, like you said, Allie, even watching a movie and snuggling together. Mm -hmm. um, without that margin space, it's hard for those opportunities um, for connection to, to be there and for kids to feel that connection in the relationship. Yeah. So, so look at your schedule. Is your schedule filled to the brim without any margin room? And maybe, you know, take a, a look for the new year for 2020, have a maybe different vision for how you're going to approach your family time. Okay. Um, so number four, volunteer together. Find ways to serve your community together as a family. It's so, so important. And that can, you know, further increase the gratitude that we talked about a few episodes mm -hmm. ago. So volunteering is just so vital, I think. Yeah, I think this is great for kids, families, you know, starting that as a family together when your kids are little. This might be something that they continue to do um, later in their life. And social isolation and self-absorption can often lead to a greater likelihood of experiencing depression. So volunteering helps kids and families feel connected outside of themselves. It gives kids the important message of being a part of a community and gives kids a different perspective. Yes, absolutely. And often kids need um, like these service hours, right, for school. Yes. So kind of you get, you know, you kill two birds with one stone kind of thing. You get to do both at the same time while also, you know, showing them the importance of giving back to your community and being a part of your community is, is really important. Um, so number five, model good mental health. So teach the language of feelings. You have them expand their emotional alphabet, so to speak. Uh, we talked about this in earlier episodes, but as a recap, have a fe feelings chart on your fridge. You know, have something that shows feelings and creates that discussion around feelings every day. And, and don't just expect your kids to use it, you know, use it with them. You know, sometimes I have parents that come in and they say, you know, oh, we have the feelings charter, or we have the journal, but you know, my kid isn't using it. And you know, no fault at all of the parents, you know, I might ask them, okay, well, how are you involved with this process? You know, because it's really important. Kids aren't just gonna necessarily do things on their own. Um, so yeah, having that involvement is really important. It is so powerful to share with a child that you have made a mistake as yes. a parent. Um, and those repair moments, I think that's where the magic is. Mm -hmm. um, that's where it is so important um, to kids. You know, as parents, we are going to mess up. Um, we're going to have ruptures in our relationships with with our kids. And there is so much healing in repairing that rupture with a child. You know, coming to a child and saying, I'm so sorry, I messed up there. You know, I didn't really hear you when you were saying that. Or I was really quick to give an answer and not to listen. Or yeah. um, those words and that opportunity for repair matters so much to kids. Mm -hmm. I love that. And I think that really just models that you're human and that we make mistakes and 
you know, it's best not to pretend like it never happened and just move on and address, you know, whatever the, the issue was. Mm-hmm. Um, and take a break if you need it. You know, we encourage kids to use their calm down time and whatever, you know, relaxation techniques that we're working on with them. But as a parent, you know, use this on your own too. Find your own calm down time and figure out what that works or looks like for you. Yeah. And that example that you set as a parent, your actions are going to almost always outweigh the words you speak. So if your child sees you practicing relaxation and coping strategies, um, listen to a um, guided meditation together, practice some deep breathing together, try a new yoga pose Mm -hmm. together. Um, You know, when you're modeling mental health is going to speak a lot louder to kids than you talking about. Yeah, absolutely. And and kids really learn this emotional regulation piece in the presence of a regulated adult. So you. <laughs> um, so especially when the kid is, you know, dysregulated or upset and they see that the adult is also becoming dysregulated and upset, then that creates this this you know, discomfort, this confusion, this resentment, you know, just kind of like, wait, you're supposed to be showing me how to do this. Now we're both kind of lost and, and it's okay to have those moments, but overall maybe we're approaching the new year as a way to try to find that, um, that space where you can, you know, regulate yourself and then help your kid. Um, so name what you're feeling, you know, show them that you're, Maybe you're disappointed, maybe you're mad, maybe you're confused and and share those feelings and then practice your own regulation in the presence of the child when they're upset. Deep breathe together, move your body in some kind of way and show them that yes, I'm feeling mad, but in order to deal with this mad feeling, this is what I'm gonna do and then show them and maybe you guys do it together, you know? Mm -hmm. Number six, have one-on-one time together. Set aside five to 10 minutes a day, if possible, to spend that intentional quality one-on-one time with a child. Um, When you do that, you're really making deposits into your child's bank by spending quality time with them on a regular basis. Yes, I think this is so, so important. And I know we have busy schedules, but we really, we have five to 10 minutes a day to have one-on-one time. Mm-hmm. Um, be um, like, and, and when you're having these five to 10 minutes, be emotionally available during these times. Mirror your child's feelings. If they're excited, join in with your facial expression, you know, your nonverbals, your voice, everything like that. Show them that you are connecting emotionally with them. Show interest in your child's interests. You know, I encourage you to allow this time to be child-centered and child-led. Use their language that they use. Reflect back to them what they're saying. Um, Don't name things. Wait for them to, if you guys are playing a game together, wait for them to name it before labeling it. For example, if they want the toy monkey to be called mommy, um, call it mommy with them. You know, (laughs) just entering into their world. Yeah, and if the toy they're playing with is not a monkey, but they're calling it a monkey, then it's a monkey, you know? <laughs> yep. Like, just go with it, you know? And and if possible, you know, allow your kid to have a choice in what they want to show you or what they want to do during this time together. So even if there are limited options, you know, say, 
do you want to read a book or do we want to listen to music together? You know, give them options because that just further, you know, increases their own kind of, um, you know, ability to be aware of their emotions and what they need in that moment, but also feel like they have the independence and, you know, responsibility to, to make a choice. I think that's really important what you said, Allie. Um, this can feel kind of daunting to do, but I think if we all look at our schedules, we yeah. have, you know, five to 10 minutes that we can Absolutely. get on eye level with a child and enter into their world and um, show them that we are fully present with them. Yeah, yeah, totally. So number seven, allow them to do for themselves what they can. This is all about returning responsibility to the child as much as possible, um, not doing things for the child that they can do themselves. Absolutely. And and just kind of going back to giving them this personal power and this responsibility about making choices whenever possible. So, you know, ask them, would you like waffles or cereal for breakfast? You know, do you want to go to the park or do you want to go to the library? You know, give them as many options and ability to have this personal power in themselves because think about it, kids can't really control a lot in their life at, at this, you know, age. Even once they get older in high school, they still feel like they want to control more, but they really can't. So, you know, give them as many choices and options as, as you can. I like that. Giving them age responsible or age appropriate responsibilities. Yeah. Uh, we often overfunction for kids and we're really missing opportunities to build up their sense of mastery and self-esteem. And my play therapy office, um, even when it comes to opening Play-Doh in my office, which those are super hard to open. Have you ever tried to I, open Play-Doh? Yes, and getting it out sometimes. It's like, near impossible. Kids are like shaking it out. I'm like, okay, like let's find a tool that we can get it out with. <laughs> Why is it so hard to open Play-Doh? I guess that's what keeps it fresh. I don't know. Maybe that's, I don't know. I feel the same way though. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess in my play therapy office, I want them to have access to it, but maybe I'll be honest, when I um, had Play-Doh in my own home, I didn't know want my child to be able to that freely is, open it whenever yeah, they could. that is so funny. So maybe and I think, parents appreciate yeah. that. <laughs> I think kids, and maybe that's the, the novelty of coming to our offices because mm -hmm. I have paint available, I have Play-Doh available, yeah. you know, I have sand, all these things that parents kind of cringe at. They're like, why do you have this in here? Because, yeah. you know, they just think about their own homes and I totally get it, yeah, you know. they got that yeah. freedom and permission to do whatever they need to do. So in my office, I encourage the child to try numerous times to open that play-doh and I'm not gonna frustrate them completely if they still can't get it um, but I also don't just rescue them mm -hmm. um, I have them say wow that is so challenging to open let's work on it together do you um, I have them show me how do you think we could do this you know even down to where should I put my fingers on the container okay then what should I do next so that they're still mm -hmm. um, kind of owning that process yeah yeah very child-led mm -hmm. I like that approach yeah. for sure um, so moving on to number eight, encourage positive behavior. So, so teach them by exam example, you know, model the behaviors you want to see in your kids. So water the flowers, not the weeds, you know, tell them what you want them to do. We're going to walk to the car, you know, instead of saying, don't run, you know, we're going to say, we're going to use our walking feet today, you know, something that shows them focusing on the positive things and what they're doing correctly, instead of saying, don't do this or no, or you can't do that, you know, that, that mm -hmm. kind of language. Yeah. It's a small shift in your language, yes. but I think that's pretty powerful and also catching them doing good, not just when the roles are broken. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like a small switch, but it's really significant to tell your kids what you want them to do 
instead of what you don't want them to do. And so many of our rules, you know, house rules, things like that are about what we don't want them to do. So again, saying the don't hit your sister, don't run in the house. So instead, like Lauren said, just a, a little language shift. Instead, use the language that you want them to do. We speak kindly in our home. We use quiet feet or walking feet in the house. You know, so so focusing and maybe you do a whole new house rules for 2020 and you, you know, create these more positive ways of approaching it. I think that will make you as a parent feel a lot better as well. Yeah. Like it gets really frustrating to say no all the time or stop or don't do that. I mean, you feel like a broken record in that way. Totally. Um, number nine, use encouragement versus praise. Um, so there is a difference between these two. Praise teaches a child to value themselves based on the evaluation of others. And while encouragement is a positive response that focuses on the child's effort and builds up their sense of self and ability. Alfred Adler. Adler. There we go. Why did I not give his name justice? Adler. um, He had the quote. He was um, a big... big part of the um, therapy um, uh, history. So he said, um, children need encouragement like plants need water. Yes. We're talking a lot about plants today on the outside. I think think we're maybe missing the outside because it's so cold and all of that. But but yeah, I, I love that. Like, you know, encouragement is... Um, like their fuel. It's like what helps them to grow and develop. So encouragement could be describe what you see, you know, be very specific and sincere and show confidence in the child's ability and focus on their effort, not necessarily the evaluation of, oh, you're doing that really well, just showing them you're putting a lot of effort or, wow, you're using so much energy to do what you're doing right now. That's awesome. So praise might be, you know, a child shows you their artwork. I love that picture. Mm -hmm. That's so beautiful. You're giving them an evaluation of it in that moment um, and that's not going to be as meaningful and really kind of build up their sense of self and ability whereas if you um, gave an encouraging response you worked really hard on that and you picked out the colors you really wanted to use that is going to be much more meaningful and contribute to their sense of self. I 100% agree and I think it's hard because you know even myself as a therapist and a kid you know might show me something and I'll say I love that like that's I think it's time for us to say what I think. We gotta own like. it. Yeah, we gotta own it. We say I love that a lot, <laughs> and we've had a lot of friends point that out to us on this podcast. And you know what? We're going with Kid it. Kid therapist the, podcast hashtag. Yeah. I love that. Yes, yes, and that's okay. But when you, even if you feel like you're still learning the whole praise versus encouragement deal that's okay you can you can combine them together you could say I I love that picture I love that you worked hard on that picture and picked out the colors so even if there are still are elements of quote-unquote evaluation that's okay because again we're human and we say those things Um, but the real reason like the main key point that we want you to take away from this we don't want the child to feel like they're always being evaluated or they don't want to feel like okay, well, mom always says she loves my pictures, but what if one day she says she doesn't like it? Or what if she's just saying that for all the pictures because she says it all the time and it doesn't really feel sincere? So when you focus on the effort of how they worked really hard or they made sure to pick out the colors that they wanted or maybe there were colors that they didn't have access to that they did want, but then they were creative and created something else instead, noticing something very specific like that will really mean a lot to them. 
we saved one of the most significant ones for last, number 10. Consider changing your perspective about behavior. So children's behavior is really a window to their needs and feelings. Every behavior a child displays serves a purpose. Um, psychologist Dr. Jody Carrington, um, we're going to quote her, says, every time you think of calling a kid attention-seeking this year, consider changing to connection-seeking and seeing how your perspective changes. Yeah, I've seen this quote before and I absolutely love it. Um, I think it just really shifts to or, or, or focuses on that mind shift that we should have as adults in the kids in our lives and thinking, what is the, the kid trying to convey to me right now? What are they trying to tell me instead of oh they're just you know you hear attention seeking and that just mm -hmm. feels usually comes off as very negative from mm -hmm. what from or they're what manipulative right. or right they um are um you even hear they're a bad kid mm -hmm. which is um i don't believe that there's any bad kid no no it's mm -hmm. heartbreaking to hear that so yeah. so can consider looking for the need that is occurring within the, the child instead of getting caught up in what their actual behavior is because the behavior is often their language of showing them that something is off right now i need something but they may not even be able to fully articulate what they need. Uh, another favorite quote that we have from psychologist Ashley Warner says, beneath every behavior is a feeling and beneath every feeling is a need. And when we meet that need rather than focus on the behavior, we begin to deal with the cause and not the symptom. I really believe that kids don't want to make poor choices and get in trouble. Mm -hmm. They really want to be heard and validated and valued and cared for. And we can, when we take time to look underneath the behavior, we can start to see what that behavior might be telling us. Absolutely. Like think about it even as an adult. Like what if you're having a bad day at work or, you know, things just, your day is just not going the way you had hoped it would. And what if you just had like a meltdown right in the middle of your office or, you know, mm -hmm. we're screaming and crying and, you know, just having this, this moment, like, yeah, that, <laughs> that probably wouldn't feel so great for you. Um, but you know, kids don't have that ability to regulate. So, so us as adults, we might stuff it down inside. We might, you know, be able to take a break at work, but kids don't have that ability to do that. So if we see that they're having a meltdown, you know, let's think about what do they need in, in this moment? Um, um, Dan Siegel and um, Tina, Tina Payne Bryson. Wow, I've never never said that name out loud, and it's kind of a mouthful. Um, but we know I love this book. Actually, it's called No Drama Discipline. Yeah, this is striking a chord for you yes. with what we're talking about behavior. Get this book. Um, I strongly encourage you to get this book. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And um, Dan Siegel also has um, the Whole Child Brain book. Whole Brain Child. Whole Brain Child. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> and they're um, coming up with another book <laughs> in January called The Power of Showing Up, which Ooh, is all about that attunement and connection. Yeah. Love that. Mm -hmm. Yes. And we'll post all these on the Facebook page. Um, but one quote from their book is, it's when our kids are most upset that they need us the most. So think about it. You know, they, they don't want to feel frustrated, enraged, or out of control, just like us as adults probably don't want to feel that way either. Um, but as kids, they're not able to regulate as much. So it's not only unpleasant for them it's extremely stressful that they're feeling this confused or out of control and frustrated so usually misbehavior is the result of a child having a hard time dealing with what's going on around mm -hmm. 
her or around like inside of her the feelings that she's having so she's got all these big feelings and doesn't know yet how to have the capacity to manage them and then this behavior is simply a result of that so her actions especially when she's out of control are a really big signal red flag you know that she needs help in that moment and there's a bid for assistance and, and for that connection from you as the parent. So, um, so yeah, that's that's really really crucial. Yeah, I see. We saved this one for last because um, I think it's it really changes everything mm -hmm. um, when you start to view behavior from from this lens and um, every every part of um, the child is. Um, you you fully accept every part of who they are and mm -hmm. are um, looking to understand what's happening for them. What are they communicating and um, focus on that connection with them. So a lot of these ideas seem like they're pretty basic. However, as our lives get busier and busier, these essentials often get squeezed out. So we encourage you to come back to these and not overlook or neglect these areas. As this upcoming year approaches, um, assess what areas might need some attention or make some adjustments back towards your family's mental health. Our hope is that you don't feel overwhelmed by this list or look at it like another to-do or another thing adding to your stress level um, and feeling like you have to tackle it all and be the best at all of it, um, but rather see which ones um, you are drawn to and be gentle with yourself and your family and this process. Absolutely. And even just start with one, you know, maybe you approach one thing in January and then really master that one thing. So maybe sleep is that one thing. And then in February you add another, you know, so, so you can create this slow progress, but slow progress is still progress. Mm -hmm. um, I love this quote that you found Lauren from uh, Rebecca Lyons. We all want the same thing, connection, belonging, intimacy as a family. Kids want it as much as we want it. I think that's just so powerful. Yeah, I think that really sums up all of this. Absolutely. Well, so this is the end of season one for us. Can you believe it? No. <laughs> so we're really excited about 2020 and kind of this new 2020 vision that's coming. I just realized 20, like 2020 is clear vision. And you just said vision. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I, I love that. Um, I, I don't know if I can take credit for that. I feel like I've seen that somewhere, but anyways, approach 2020 with maybe a new vision, a new mindset, uh, approach as a parent, as uh, you know, a spouse, as a partner, as a friend, you know, uh, just maybe take a, a, a new lens, a new approach to it. We're not talking New Year's resolutions and things like that. We're just talking about how you want to approach this upcoming year and decade in your own lives and finding that connection as much as you can. Maybe claiming 2020 as the year your family's going to grow and um, grow towards greater overall well, overall well-being and mental health. Yes. Love that. <laughs> Love it. Yes, yes. Bye, guys. Have a happy holidays.